Okay, good evening again there, sloggy kiddos. I don't know why I always say that. It just kind of rolls off the tongue pretty easy. Uh, so, hope you're enjoying the book. I heard at least some of you are. Let's keep going here. We're at the end of chapter 10, and Cedric and Lady Tess just had a very interesting conversation, didn't they? Um, let's see here. Cedric. And yet I can't help but be drawn to her. She is a special woman. That she is, Cedric. The prince saw something unique in her from the beginning. That is why she is with you as your assistant. Your mission is vitally important during these formative years of the new kingdom, and he knew your challenges would be many. She has been invaluable indeed, I replied. I am continually amazed at how well she can discern people and even situations, but oddly enough, she doesn't seem to know me at all. Why is that, Lady Tess? Tess smiled again and placed her hand on my arm. That, my dear Cedric, is something you must figure out on your own. She stood up from the bench and I rose too. Shall we catch up with them? Tess motioned toward Leonad and Talia. Somehow, I felt confirmed and better equipped to move forward with the mission the prince had given me. Chapter 11 Kingdom Come Over the coming months, the prince ruled Arethre with wisdom, compassion, and justice. He was not simply a good king. He was a perfect king. Power corrupts even the best men because of their innate desire to acquire more and more. The prince, however, was different, for he already owned everything. He wanted the best for his people, not for himself. Within a few short months, the goodness of his rule had already begun to transform a land and people once ravaged by power-hungry men like Pharos and Kurgan who had ruled regions of the kingdom as vicious castle lords, and ultimately Lucius himself. The silent warriors all but disappeared, for this was an age of peace and prosperity, meant for Erethraeans. The silent warrior's service to the king to protect his people was now accomplished by the knights of the prince. Their role of delivering the words of the king to the people was unneeded, for the king was here in the form of his son. Their battle against the shadow warriors was, for the most part, over, since the dark night and most of the shadow warriors were captive in the prison pits of the wasteland. Many of the silent warriors were charged to guard this massive prison. No Erethrean knew the whereabouts of the wasteland, for it was a place of desolation reserved only for Lucius and his evil shadow warriors. The life spice thrived in Erethrae and soon brought healing 
and good health to all of the people. It grew everywhere, in the cities, on the hills, and in the valleys. Cities were rebuilt, crops were planted, trade prospered. Roads were built, and places of learning were established to teach many the knowledge of the prince, which seemed inexhaustible. Every corner of a tray reaped the benefits of prosperity brought to the land by the prince's reign. It was a golden era that far surpassed even the glory days of Quinn. Chessington became the hallmark of greatness in Erethrae. It became known as the beloved city of the king. The palace of the prince gleamed in its brilliance, testifying to the fact that a grand and noble man reigned over the kingdom. The prince loved his people, and they loved him. I remembered that day many years ago, before the great battle, when the prince had first come to Erethrae. I had watched him care for hungry, dirty children in the streets of Chessington. I would never forget the tears that flowed from his eyes as he felt compassion for the hopeless. I had watched a tear fall from his noble cheek and into the dust of the land. I now knew that he saw the pain of the people and yearned for the future he could bring them. That tear had watered land that would one day burst forth in abundance under his tender care. This was that day, a day of abundance. The threat of corrupt deeds by evil men was nearly eliminated. Talia and I traveled without the protection of other knights now, and we could move from region to region much faster. The challenge of our mission to mediate and resolve conflict diminished. We now mostly carried progress reports and news from city to city, as well as mandates from the prince. I enjoyed most of it, for it was a way to see my friends numerous times throughout the year. Talia and I became companions in an odd sort of way. With long distances to travel and no one else to talk to, we began to understand each other better, at least as friends. I learned to keep a healthy separation between us emotionally, simply because I knew she wanted it that way. But as hard as I tried, I could not ignore my feelings for her. I kept them closely under guard, however, for I was not sure that she would ever feel the same way about me. In fact, I occasionally wondered if she didn't desire our mission to end so she would not have to spend so much time with me. Yet, she softened a little over time, and I saw her smile at me more and more. Those were the moments I cherished. Overall, I felt awkward. I had never felt this way about a lady before. Unfortunately, I had no one to turn to for guidance. I could not figure Talia out or how I was supposed to feel. This nebulous thing called love seemed so easy for some, but for me it was like trying to sail without the wind.
One aspect of our relationship was not difficult to figure out, however. I came to trust Talia completely. She had Leonad's wisdom and Tessa's uncanny discernment, and more. She had learned the ways of the silent warriors well and used them to aid me whenever possible. She was invaluable to me as an ambassador in many regions and cities. The prince had decreed that a feast was to be held each year in the grand city of Chessington to celebrate the day of victory for the people. Invitations were extended to every man, woman, and child in the kingdom. At the first feast, there was much pomp and ceremony, with delicious cuisine from all across the land. The great Chessington Valley was temporarily transformed into a grand courtyard so that all who wanted to, wanted to could attend. The feast of celebration lasted five days. At its conclusion, a small goblet of bitter wine was given to all who desired to seal themselves to the king. The prince stood upon a high platform for all to see. People of Arethre, his noble voice echoed down the valley for all to hear. You are the heart of the kingdom's of the king's kingdom. The depth of our love for you cannot be measured. We have overcome the dark night, and this is a time to remember our victory. The valley erupted to cheers of adoration. The prince waited for quiet to return. Today we celebrate that victory. The wine in your cup is bitter. Do not drink it if your heart is not completely the king's. To drink unworthily is unforgivable. We drink this bitter wine as a vow to remember the destruction that living without the code will bring. It will seal you to the king and to me forever. The prince lifted his chalice high into the air. One king, one prince, one code. The king reigns, and his son. Thousands of voices lifted into the air and repeated the words of the prince as they drank from their goblets of bitter wine. It was difficult to swallow, for it was indeed bitter. With one swallow, my cheeks became flush and my stomach was upset. The taste lingered long afterward. Some did not drink, for they had come only for the celebration. Without a heart completely sewn into the fabric of the code, the king and his son, there was nothing to compel one to drink the bitter wine. What a strange way to end the feast, I thought. But who was I to question the prince? After the celebration at the beloved city of the king, each city hosted a celebration feast for those who could not attend at Chessington. The prefects and governors were all given the bitter wine to offer at their feasts as well. Those who drank were sealed to the king and, and the prince.
At the third feast, William announced his engagement to Kendra, and I rejoiced with him. After the fifth feast, Talia was called to embark on ambassador missions on her own. She and I were each assigned assistants. It did not take long for me to grow lonely for her. Even though I had struggled with repressed feelings, in my heart I desired to be near her. However, each year we joined together again to travel to the northern regions of the kingdom just before the yearly feast. Our separation during the year seemed to soften to Leah's heart toward me, for which I was thankful. But I expected her to eventually find someone to marry, since I did not appear to be the one for her. With each year that passed, I was thankful it never happened. I looked for a wife, but my eyes always came back to Talia. I chose to enjoy my time and my friendship with her. It, <coughs> excuse me. I chose to enjoy my time and my friendship with her. It was the time of year I relished most. I visited with the prince whenever I was in Chessington. I always looked forward to meeting with him because he refreshed my soul like cool mountain water quenches the parched palate of a traveler. After the seventh feast, he called for me, and I entered his throne room. I approached and knelt before the king of Erethrae. Rise up, Cedric. How is my faithful friend? He asked with a smile on his lips. I never quite felt comfortable being called a friend of the king, for I knew I did, did not deserve it. Yet, knowing he thought of me as a friend empowered my resolve to not fail him. I am quite well, my prince, I replied. Throughout the kingdom there is peace and prosperity. You have transformed Rethray into a glorious kingdom. I lowered my head in deference. Your service has been invaluable to me, Cedric. You have done well. He escorted me to the palace garden as we talked. I looked out upon the beautiful city of Chessington as he spoke. As an ambassador, you have excelled. How is your performance as a knight? He asked. I was taken aback slightly. The years of peace had invited complacency into the honing of certain skills as a knight. There are the skills of a gentleman I was required to rely upon daily as an ambassador, but there are also the skills of a warrior. I will not forget your words, my lord, I replied. I will continue my training every day. Knighthood is in the heart and in the mind, Cedric, he said. Yes, my lord. I knew that he had once again seen into my heart and now found a lack of diligence. I will refocus. He nodded, and we resumed our walk. This walk and many others always seemed to encourage and convict me at the same time. 
Being with the prince was like looking into a mirror that reflected the secret truths of my heart, truths that even I did not recognize. Nine feast celebrations came and went. Each one heralded the incredible blessing of the prince's rule over Erethrae. All manner of sickness was eliminated. The kingdom was young and full of life. I imagined it was like the days of Peyton and Denon, when the king first established Erethrae. The goodness of the prince seemed to extend to forever. I came to love the annual feast for many reasons. It was an honor to pledge my allegiance to the king and the prince each year. It was also a time to see all my friends once again. William, Rob, Barrett, Cullen, Leonad, Tess, and many, many more. At the conclusion of the ninth feast, the king issued a decree that every knight of the prince and every man, woman, and child who was sealed to the king must attend the tenth celebration feast. Erethrae began to resemble the kingdom across the sea, the splendor of the cities, the beauty of the country, and the peace in the hearts of her citizens. What could ever destroy the greatness of such a land, I wondered. Chapter 12, Talia. It was the tenth year of the reign of the prince. Talia and I met again in Salisburg to begin our journey northward. It was by far the most difficult trek, for we traveled to the cities beyond the northern mountains. Norwex was the largest of the northern cities, and Sir Gunther was both city prefect and regional governor there. Our assistants did not relish the journey, so this year we left them in Salisburg and traveled on our own. The passage to the northern region lay between the northern mountains and the Terra Hills mountain range. It was during our visit to a small city named Denshire, between the foothills of, the, of these two mountain ranges, that we began to notice a strange thing happening among the people. As we visited with the prefect, Sir Bennington, and many knights of the prince, it became evident that they felt that they felt something was amiss. Talia sensed it too, and I saw a serious look return to her eyes, a look I had not seen for years. Ten years of peace and prosperity would not allow me to imagine anything more serious than disgruntled citizens, but Talia was not convinced. Sir Bennington, what is it that seems to be wrong? We sat side by side at the evening meal that he always hosted for us when we passed through. Two of Bennington's knights had joined us. He thought for a moment. I have come to believe that secret meetings are occurring, but I cannot verify my suspicions. What do you think these meetings concern? Talia asked. I don't know, Lady Talia, he said, 
I've asked the knights to keep a keen ear open for information, but we have turned up nothing. Bennington threw his hands up and leaned back in his chair. It may be nothing at all, but I am not the only one who has noticed it. It is almost as if the people are discontent and annoyed. Discontent and annoyed, I asked. With what? Many have not sworn complete allegiance to the king and the prince, you know. He replied, more than half the city will not drink the bitter wine at the celebration feasts and be sealed to the king. I understand that, Sir Bennington, but even so they are enjoying the benefits of our benevolent king, are they not? They are not limited, nor is their freedom restricted, as long as they do not harm another or violate the code. They can travel freely, run businesses, build, discover. What is left? The room fell silent. To defy, replied one of the knights who had remained silent throughout the meal. We all looked at him, and I suddenly remembered that the free will of man is like a coin with two sides. The decision to choose good and evil is available to every man. It was a sober realization. I thanked Sir Bennington for sharing his concern and promised to stay vigilant as Talia and I continued our journey. He redirected the conversation to something uplifting before the evening's end and told us of a spectacular view partway up the mountain range that was well worth the ride if we had a mind to see it. The following day, Talia and I bid farewell to Sir Bennington and left for the northern cities, but we decided to first climb Crestview, Crestview Ridge and enjoy the view Bennington had described. It was truly spectacular, almost as though the entire kingdom were before us. We left the ridge and traveled down the northern face of the range and came across a fresh campsite that seemed to disturb Talia. What is it, Talia? I asked. She looked at me and then to the trees. The air was cool this high up, and I could see her frosty breath as she exhaled. The rose of her the rose of her cheeks captured my attention. She was beautiful. I had conditioned myself to ignore this part of my life, but now I briefly dreamed of a different path for us. I loved her company, but our mission seemed to prohibit anything more than business. I wondered if there was some other way for us to live. The last two years had been especially difficult. Even though our friendship was deeper, I was not content with it as it was. I don't know, Cedric. Maybe it's nothing she said, but I have not felt such uneasiness for many years. Something is not right. We searched the area for some clue as to who might have camped here. 
There were numerous fire pits, and I discovered many footprints, all large. A chilling thought swallowed my mind, and I looked over it to Leah. She was thinking it, too. I knelt down and traced one footprint with my finger. A sickening feeling enveloped my stomach. It's time to leave, Talia, I said. She did not hesitate. We mounted our horses and traveled in silence for some time. Have you kept up with your sword training? She finally asked. Nearly every day, my sword and the skills the prince taught me are my love. It has been difficult at times to find someone to train with, but an imaginary foe is often more cunning than a real one. How about you? She smiled at me. You want to find out? I'll take that as a challenge, I said in return your smile. Just remember what happened the last time you challenged me. She raised one eyebrow, and her smile dissolved into a look of determination. We found a clearing at the base of the mountain where a stream wound its way through the forest trees to eventually spill over a rocky ledge into a waterfall-filled pool. We dismounted and let our horses graze a few paces away. Talia faced me and drew her sword. I drew mine and bowed respectfully. She did likewise, and we took our stances. I realized that I had never trained with Talia. This would be significantly different than the intrepid course. I wondered how difficult this challenge would be. She advanced with a quick combination. I defended and returned with one of my own. She quickly caught each of my cuts perfectly with the flat of her sword to preserve the edge of the blade. Within moments, our swords collided in a relentless volley of cuts and slices. She thrust, I parried. As the bout progressed, she became more and more aggressive, and I could not resist the urge to do the same. Soon, we were in a full-fledged sword fight with neither of us holding anything back. It teetered on the edge of dangerous, but the competitive nature of Talia was enthralling. Her countenance was serious and focused. I found it necessary to tap into every ounce of my skill and ability to keep the fight equal. We continued long after a reasonable amount of time for training, for neither of us appeared able to relinquish the fight. Not since my training with the prince had I been so completely challenged. I was thoroughly impressed and found incredible comfort in the knowledge that I could trust Talia's skill with the sword if ever our lives were at stake. The forest faded into the background as I found it necessary to focus exclusively on Talia's moves. We rotated, sliced, cut, thrust, advanced, and retreated in an intense fight. At one point, Talia brought a barrage of four combinations that put me in a steady retreat. She must be tiring. When the motion of her last cut expires, I will press hard and finish this, I thought. But 
I did not see the dip in the ground behind me. As I stepped back, I lost my balance and fell backward. She brought a vertical cut down on me, and I just barely stopped it above my head. I quickly rolled to my feet next to a large fallen tree trunk. She brought another cut down upon me, and I stepped aside, narrowly avoiding her blade. The sword embedded itself into the tree just to the left of me, and she was left trying to withdraw it. I was positioned between her and the tree trunk, too close to execute any moves. She brought both hands to bear on the stubborn sword, but it would not budge. I considered sidestepping to gain room for a slice, but instead I wrapped my left arm around both of hers and held them tightly. Her face was close to mine, and I saw beads of sweat on her brow, cheeks, and upper lip. Both of us were breathing hard. I looked into her dark, captivating eyes, which were full of ferocity. She struggled, then paused and looked into my eyes. I flipped my sword into the air, grabbed it by its by the steel of the blade, and offered the hilt to her. I yield, Lady Talia, I said between breaths. Her eyes softened, and for a moment a look of genuine admiration crossed her face. I saw in her eyes what I remembered catching a glimpse of the first time we met. She released the grip on her sword, and I let loose of her arms. She took my sword without turning her eyes away from mine. I accept Sir Cedric of Chessington, she replied. I smiled, and we both moved the part slightly. Thank you for one of the most invigorating challenges with the sword I have ever had. You are a worthy opponent with whom I am honored to serve. As are you, Cedric. Talia and I retrieved her sword and refreshed ourselves with the cold mountain stream water before resuming our trek. We visited two smaller cities before arriving in Norwex. Sir Gunther welcomed us, and we were soon sitting in his manor around a large wooden table with delicious delicacies before us. I was thankful for the days of travel between visits, or I might have taken on the look of a pregnant horse with all the wonderful meals the prefects offered. His wife and two children joined us for the meal. It is good to see you, Lady Talia and Sir Cedric. We look forward to your visit each year. Will you be here at the feast coming shortly? he asked. Certainly, Sir Gunther. And you? I asked. We would not think to miss it, he said with a large grin. Talia sat beside me. I glanced her way and noticed that she was looking at Sir Gunther's adolescent son, whose head was lowered, a smirk on his face. Sir Gunther was a jolly fellow with a barrel chest to match. His wife was plain but full of life. Their daughter, Ava, was ten and quite shy. Delton was seventeen. Each year, 
he seemed to grow colder toward me, but I attributed attributed it to the struggle of adolescence. Your children have grown so much this last year, Sir Gunther. I turned my head. How have you been, Delton? He tried to mask his disdain. All right, I guess. He replied and then occupied himself with the food on his plate. And how are you, Ava? I asked the young lass. She smiled and blushed. I am fine, sir. Thank you. The meal was delicious, Lady Raleb, Talia said to Gunther's wife. Yes, I agreed. Thank you very much. The meal was indeed excellent, and I ate until I was uncomfortable. Afterward, Delton quickly disappeared with one of his friends, and Ava found a doll to play with. Soon only Gunther, Talia, and I were at the table. Gunther, I paused. Have you noticed anything unusual in your city or in the region lately? Why do you ask? Should I have? Sir Bennington of Denshire conveyed some concern about his people, and I was wondering if you'd noticed it as well. Ah, Ben is paranoid, Cedric, he said with a laugh. All is well in the north. There is an occasional ruckus with the youngsters now and then, but nothing to be alarmed about. How about the other city leaders? Any problems there? Talia asked. Jared and Trevin have always been a problem, but it's nothing out of the ordinary, he said a little more seriously. Listen, if anything strange is going on, I will certainly let you know. Fair enough? Fair enough, I responded. That night, my my sleep was fitful. I was awakened in my bedchamber by Talia. Wake up, Cedric. What is it? It did not take long for me to become alert, for my sleep had not been deep. She lit a candle as I sat up in bed. I noticed that she was fully dressed and ready for the day, including her sword. She sat on the bed next to me. Did you notice Delton at supper tonight? Yes, but he... I watched, and he left the manor just a short time ago she said, looking concerned. In the middle of the night? I asked. Yes, in the middle of the night. I think something serious is stirring within him, she said, visibly alarmed. Listen, Talia, you missed normal adolescence. I know of many boys who did the same thing. It was never for any good. You can be assured but I can only remember one time when they tried to overthrow the kingdom, I said, teasing her. She looked at me again. You never know when I'm teasing you, do you? I asked, amazed. You are so discerning. How is it that you cannot read me? Her shoulders drooped slightly and she looked away. 
Are there others you cannot read? I asked. You are the only one. Then she returned to the subject. Gunther suspects something, but he doesn't know how to describe it, so he denies it. Lady Relib adores Gunther, dotes on Ava, and wants to redecorate their manor. She has given up on Delton. Ava blushes when you talk to her because she thinks you're handsome. Delton is rebelling against his parents and... And what? I pressed. And he is involved in something very dark. Adolescence or no adolescence. She stood and walked to the open window of my chamber. Then she turned and faced me. And I can't read you because... Talia's words were cut short by a brief whoosh of air. Her eyes opened wide with a look of horror. And then she fell to her knees. I burst out of bed and grabbed her. Only then did I feel the deadly arrow protruding from her back. Chapter 13 is called A Rebellion Born. And that's where we're going to where we're going to stop tonight, kiddos. Yes, I know, I know, I know. But I got to stop and get to bed. Okay. I love you all very, very much. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that I get to be a daddy to Lily and Garrison and Sonia and Chrissy and Gideon. Um, Father, I just pray that your grace and mercy would be on their childhoods. And Lord, I just, I pray that as they grow and as they are challenged and as they face crises, crises with friends and moral questions and moral dilemmas and very hard choices of the heart and soul, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them plainly and clearly and that they can always count on you being there and having something to say to them when they take the time to quiet their minds and to sit down and pray and listen for you, Lord God, through your mighty Holy Spirit, our counselor and our comforter, and he who will lead us into all truth if we let him. Father, I just pray that your word would dwell richly in the kids, that they would read your Bible attentively, read your word attentively in the Bible, and just consider it you talking directly to them and not as something where they have to finish two chapters a day or memorize this or memorize that, even though both of those things are good. Lord, I just pray that they would see your love and your mercy and your grace and your kindness speaking to their hearts and their souls and their spirits as they uh, read and learn your word. Father, I pray that the kids who get
great sleep tonight and that I'd get really good sleep myself and that mommy would get really good restful sleep and that uh, that I'd get home quick. <laughs> I can't wait to spend Christmas and New Year's with my family. We love you, Lord God. And uh, I pray that, just like in Chuck Black's book, that we would all be fully committed to you, Lord Jesus, and be willing and ready and able to seal ourselves to you. So we thank you for your word, Lord God, and we thank you for this Chuck Black story. And we love you and we pray all these things in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. Night, night, kiddos. I love you very much. And I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Love you, Mommy.